Love is the spell. The spell is death. And he casts his spell. His voice groans, yowls, and spits with the wind and rain. And there is the sound of the crashing sea and the alien words he speaks. Lightning strikes his hands and fire burns them and then leaps and skitters across the storm like dream hands of ancient dazzling gods. And beneath it all is the beat of a human heart, as big as the ocean, its titanic throbbing, a drum announcing war. The words are as hard as stone, older than the wind, first spoken by boneless throats that pulsed in limbless phosphorescent bodies. And the words are answered. Ah, that's awesome. My name is Conrad, along with my co-host, Drew. And welcome to the 40th episode of Strangers by the Dozen, the weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, six issues at a time. How's it going this week, Drew? I'm doing a little touchdown dance because I, I like hit that intro in one go. That was a super masterful um, reading of Dr. Strange casting hella spells to fight um, immortal oh. bad guys. So good. A.K.A. the worst kind of bad guys. We all know it's true. Uh, yeah. You can find the show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and any fine podcast app. You can contact the show at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com, on Twitter at strangerbythetwelve, on Facebook or Instagram by searching for Stranger by the Dozen, or on our podcast network site of cradaline.com. All right. Hey, big week this week, Drew. You know, we've we spent the last couple episodes with Doctor Strange languishing away in um, a in a double book with Cloak and Dagger and sort of in, in Volume Two of Strange Tales. Yeah. Hmm. This, this week, both um, titles have proven themselves just popular enough to get back into comic book form. Oh yeah, yeah. So oh, that yeah. we'll see late nineteen eighty eight. We'll, we're basically. You know, we're, we've finished up the big arc for Strange Tales, and Doctor Strange is preparing to get back to his regular comic and stuff. And Cloak and Dagger is doing the same, so we're gonna jump in. You know, like we've had for the last couple of weeks. These are the Strange Tales is double books. There's the Cloak and Dagger story, the Doctor Strange story. We're gonna do the Cloak and Dagger story real quick, and then do the Doctor Strange one a little bit more. But these are kind of shorter stories i want to say you know i mean they the each one's like 12 pages instead of the normal uh 20 pages and stuff so they go pretty quick right cool so let's get started drew with strange tales 18 from december 1988 uh the the uh cloak and dagger story is called descent into darkness with Terry Austin writer Dan Lawless Penciler, Kevin Nolan Inker, Ken Bruzenak Letterer, Kevin Nolan Colorist, Carl Potts Editor, and Tom DeFalco Chief. So, when last we left Cloak and Dagger, uh, Cloak had abandoned Dagger to the evil Knight, who is a minion of the evil of the similarly evil Mister Jip. And meanwhile, Cloak had been magically kidnapped slash summoned by a um, like like a kid somewhere in Brooklyn, who made him his mystical slave, essentially. Uh, that's 
Yeah. Oh, right. That that was super not okay. It was. It was extremely. It was and is extremely problematic. Yeah. <laughs> so this. So this issue. Uh, it's mostly uh, dagger and knight fighting. Knight. You know. Dagger, of course, famous for the jumpsuit with the boob windows. Uh, Knight equally sexualized a lady who basically wears a um, like a fishnet body stocking with nothing but fishnets. Conveniently placed like strips of electrical tape in certain spots, yeah. in, in strategic spots. This is not. <laughs> I don't know. It, do, it doesn't seem empowering to me, but whatever. Oh, '80s Marvel. It's it's super '80s Marvel. Um, Knight's, you know, Knight used to be paired with this character, Day. Uh, Day had kind of light-y powers, and Knight's big thing was that she's able to sort of create monsters out of shadow. When last we saw Day, he got injured in sort of this big, in in the first big confrontation between Knight and Day and Cloak and Dagger. And Day, in fact, was so injured that he never appears in Marvel continuity again afterwards. Oh, dang. That's the most serious kind of injury. <laughs> it's really serious. People have died and been, less, and been less injured than that, for sure. Um, <laughs> but so, this week it's mostly just Dagger fighting these shadow monsters. Um, Knight is able to suck the darkness out of, out of somebody, so she sucks the darkness out of Cloak, and it's sort of like that part in the first Avengers movie where Thor shoots his light, shoots a lightning bolt at Iron Man, and it's like, oh, okay, like, you just charged me up, bro. It, like, enables Dagger to be able to make a sword out of light instead of just shoot uh, light knives and stuff. But it ends badly, or it turns out to be part of the trap, basically, because Dagger then gets inundated by the darkness, by instead of, basically, she uses her light sword to kill one big dark monster, but then a whole bunch of little dark monsters attacks her and consumes her with darkness, turning her into cool evil dagger with like a black jumpsuit instead of a uh, of a, of a white one. Still boob window though. Oh, I mean, that's <laughs> good or evil, you got to have boob windows. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, during all this, Cloak is sort of stuck in a mag- in a magic circle like a pentagram thing. That this kid in pajamas and glasses sort of keeps him in and talks a lot about um, how Cloak is his slave and kind of has to do what he says and that he owns him and stuff, which is extremely problematic. (laughs) Yeah, And the story sort of ends with Knight calling in X-Factor to take down the the now evil dagger for her, basically. And like... I don't know if you're familiar with the initial form of X Factor, Drew. I'm vaguely familiar with them. Like it's it's a it's weird because it's basically the launch X Men team. So you know, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Beast, uh, Angel, and they sort of have red costumes, and they X Factor is sort of a a mutant cleanup group. Like hey, like you, um, like. You got these mutants, we'll beat up the mutants for you and take them away. But they're also, like, that's sort of a false flag for them actually being a a mutant rebellion group, basically. So, whatever. It's it's complicated and weird, but... (laughs) I think I'm more familiar with uh, with X Force when uh, yes, this is well, pre during, during, the, 
during the Deadpool years. Yes, this is pre like Cable and Lee Field era. Everybody's got feet, all that stuff, you know. Everybody's got weird feet and pouches. <laughs> yeah, no, this is b- before that where everybody has regular feet and like Beast is dumb, but his 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 intelligence is inversely proportional to his strength, so it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, the big cliffhanger for this issue is X-Force showing down with eagle, with Evil Dagger. And it's like, oh, what's going to happen? Find out in the Cloak and Dagger, um, in, in, in Cloak and Dagger number one, which will appear in someone's Cloak and Dagger podcast, but it's not our problem. Yeah, I, that's, that's not our deal here. <laughs> yeah. Also, the, revolu- the resolution to um, Cloak being held captive by some weird kid. Still really not okay. Yeah, not okay, not our problem. Which takes <laughs> us to Which takes us to Strange Tales eighteen from uh, again, which is for the story A Touch of Your Hand. Peter Begilla's story, Richard Case Pencils, Randy Emberlin Inks, Janice Chang Letters, Bob Sharon Colors, Carl Potts Editor, Tom DeFalco Editor, Al Fresco. Oh, somebody's getting fancy. <laughs> exactly. So, this this um, issue, and I'd say next issue, too, of Strange Tales, is basically more cleanup from the Doctor Strange going evil part, you know? Yeah, he's he's kind of sitting around moping with his eye patch on. Yeah, after doing some moping, and he kind of talks, and and we kind of like visit a little bit with um, Wong and Imei and stuff. The majority of this comic is Doctor Strange going to England to talk to Victoria Bentley, who will remember is the English magician whose mansion he burned down and whose magic he uh, he sucked out. That's going to be really awkward. Yeah, she's currently comatose, and like her, uh, her butler like zaps it with magic and stuff like that. I don't blame him. Yeah, it's true. Basically, though, the the long and the short of it is Doctor Strange, or is Doctor Strange apologizes, and while Victoria sort of magically attacks him, eventually she can't go through with like killing him or anything like that and it turns out that this whole thing is that she's less it seems like she's less mad about having all of her magical powers drained and more that um like doctor strange never loved her or like returned her love for her i guess which i don't know <laughs> this is like a long term um like Victoria Bentley, Doctor Strange thing. Like, I mean, you know, they had this same relationship of him having unrequited love or her loving him unrequitedly, like in the 60s and even in the 70s, like when he started really dating Clea hot and heavy and stuff. It's right. Been a, and, yeah. But, and Stephen just kind of being a jerk about it. Well, I mean, him not, maybe not even noticing it because she just kind of did, did it from afar, I guess. And Doctor Strange, you know, kind of being like, I don't want to lead you on he did a lot. You know, that's a lot of his big things, you know. All right. Um, in the end, though, he manages to restore um, her powers. And the two of them seem to sort of part as friends, I guess. And, you know, yeah, so basically good times. Doctor Strange, once again, manages to get past some of the greatest crimes he committed while uh, he lost his powers, essentially scot-free. Yeah, it remains messed up. Anyhow, (laughs) let's go to Strange Tales 19 from October 1988. 
the 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 cloak and dagger or the the sword of cloak and dagger story is called volatile combinations terry austin writer eric larson penciler terry austin inker ken brusnack letterer uh steve bucoletto colorist carl potts editor tom defalco chief so this is kind of a weird story because it doesn't actually feature cloak and dagger like their crossover continues completely in Cloak and Dagger number one and X Factor and stuff. Instead, we see a lot about the character Mayhem and then some sort of New York City uh, cops that we've sort of been uh, seeing around the peripheries of the Cloak and Dagger stories and Strange Tales for the last couple months. Uh-huh. The basic thing, though, is that there's a cop. He gets called in for like a bomb threat. That the bomb threat has to do with uh, the Fantastic Four, so the thing shows up. And because it's October 1988, it uh, the Ben Ben Grimm is currently pineapple thing. <laughs> Which I kind of mentioned um, last week, and now you can see not now you can see him in all of his glory, Drew. What do you think about pineapple <laughs> thing? I think it's fantastic. He looks like the regular thing, but so like there was a point where. The th- where Ben Grimm got like re-exposed to cosmic rays and it basically made him even more the thing. And this sort of expressed by him, by instead of just being flat like rocks, he became big sticky-outy rocks that is officially known as pineapple thing. And his skin basically does look very kind of like a pine, like the outside of a pineapple. Or like, yeah, like the outside and sort of the stalk of a pineapple, basically. Yeah. He's very spiky, especially around the shoulders. I'll tell you that it looks a lot better in the actual Fantastic Four comic books. I'm sure. Um, This is really the kind of look that um, suffers in other people's, um, you know, when other people try to do it. You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) But so, basically, the thing and the cop sort of meet this mad scientist who apparently collaborated with Reed Richards on the initial uh, whoa who collaborated with Reed Richards on the initial like rocket experiment that led to them turning into the um into everybody turning into the Fantastic 4 but this guy never got the credit or the um you know he just sort of got a minor job in the background of the Richards of like the uh, Fantastic 4/Reed Richards corporation and then as has happens as as has happened currently in the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards has left has left the FF for a little bit, and so it's caused some corporate mishigas, and this guy's lost his job, and now he's real pissed. It's driven him to mad science, to not just mad science, but like super angry science, right? And creating a big bomb. Anyhow, there's a lot of like people shouting at each other, blah blah blah. Bomb goes off, but Ben Grimm manages to cover it with his uh, giant rock body. And basically, all's, all's well that ends well. All right. The story ends with this mayhem character who's been sort of, I guess, like, not an antagonist, but like sort of an anti-hero or a secondary protagonist in the Cloak and Dagger stories, sort of rejoining her old life from when before she became a uh, a green lady with poison powers. But that's pretty much it, you know? Right. It's a lot of whatever in-universe Cloak and Dagger stuff, again, for the Cloak and Dagger podcast should one exist. Uh, I'm sure somebody out there sometime, maybe, who knows? I mean, definitely do it if you want to. It's easy. Anyhow. I think there's a Cloak and Dagger Netflix series coming up soon, I think. 
Yeah, we talked about this previously. It's it, it's like about to start filming. They just started casting it, I believe. Yeah. Or yeah, they yeah. finished casting it, something. Right. But our final Doctor Strange, Strange Tales story is Servants of the Secret Fire. Peter B. Gillis story, Rich Case pencils, Randy Emberland inks, Janice Chang letters, Bob Sharon colors, Carl Potts editor, Tom DeFalco looking for his whiteout. Uh-huh. So this one's, a, it's sort of told from a kid's perspective. Nine-year-old kid named Brian who is staying at a cabin with his granddad, and his granddad is all crazy. Basically, they're peri- they're periodically getting attacked by mystic monsters from um, beyond the realms of the gods. And the grandfather is basically just fighting them off by casting your standard Doctor Strange spells, you know. In the name of the host of Hogoth, I cast you out. Sidorix bands, bar your way. And the Seraphim shield the innocents in here, you know? Yeah, that definitely seems like a Doctor Strange spell. Yeah, it's the same sort of thing. He does a uh, You Cannot Pass, which is very Gandalf-y, even though I guess we're a couple years before Gan- that, that be- be- became a big Gandalf quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, there's a knock on the door and, oh, geez, it's a mysterious man with an eye patch and a mustache. Oh, Nick Strange? <laughs> That's right. He's from the, Mad- the Madge Avengers. Um <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's just Doctor Strange. He's basically there to tell this grandpa guy, like, listen, grandpa, you're going a little crazy, and I'm here to help you. You don't know the things I've seen. The two of them kind of argue back and forth. They got his backstory as a mystic, and eventually, as the monster attacks, Doctor Strange sort of says, like, oh, man, like... You're actually manifesting this monster yourself, and you're giving it the power to try to attack you. If you just, like, embrace reality and stop being a huge jerk, then actually maybe this monster won't kill you and your family. Like, give it a shot, idiot. <laughs> That's some tough love. He's, he's a little less blunt about it, but, but not, not super, bl- not super yeah. less blunt about it. Yeah, he's not really being, like, kind of soft about this whole thing. You're kind of like, like, it, like uh, you know, that's what you need. You want to be Jacob Rourke, wielder of power. It's all you ever needed. You couldn't control your family. You couldn't control your advancing age. All that was necessary was the power to fix it. And you like it, don't you? The thrill of battle. The clash oh. of energies. We're finally getting back to Accusatory Strange, who's maybe slightly drunk. Well, I mean, I don't think he's saying he's cursed. Uh, this might actually be <laughs> him, like, recognizing his own sort of folly at seeking ultimate power and being, like, you know, working out his own issues by yelling at this family man, basically. <laughs> like, you don't yeah. know the things I've seen, the places I've been. You wanted power. That's why you store that evil energy in your eye, isn't it, old man? Like, what? <laughs> I have both my eyes. Like, oh, geez, never mind that last part. Sorry, I was just projecting a little bit. Anyhow, um, so Grandpa Jacob realizes that he's making the evil monster, and kind of when he does, it it disappears, and everything seems to be all as well that ends well. Doctor Strange walks off into the sunset and back into his own comic book. Oh, yeah! Hey! <laughs> Always good to get your own comic book. I mean, that's what I understand. I don't know. I don't actually have one, so it's hard to tell. <laughs> one of these days, man. One of these days. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> so let's go to the next month with Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, number oh, one. 
yeah. It's Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, Volume 1. Because if it had been Master of the Mystic Arts, it would have been Volume 3. But whatever. Right. It's from October 19... It's from, sorry, from November 1988. Love is the spell, the spell is death. Peter B. Gillis' story, Richard Case pencils, Randy Emberlin inks, Janice Chang letters, Bob Sharon colors, Carl Potts editor, Tom DeFalco editor supreme. So, this comic starts off with two cool things, I'd say. One is Doctor Strange casting a huge magic spell to take out a giant monster castle that's threatening a cruise ship. Mm. Basically, he's still in the process of, although it's sort of eluded over and it seems like he's mostly done, like, he's still in the process of sealing away all the evil beings that were brought forth by him, uh, destroying all of his junk, you know? Right. Anyhow, we also see the funeral of Doctor Strange, which is pretty awesome. Uh, what? Well, because, okay, in episode, in issue three of Strange Tales, he sort of faked his own death, essentially, by just brainwashing the entire world. Um, right, right, right. And he didn't undo the rest of the world, just Wong and... Yeah, just and Wong and Sarah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and, and Ime uh, Wong's uh, fiancé. But so, there's actual, because Doctor Strange is such a powerful wizard, not only did his brainwashing change everybody's mind, everybody's mind, it also created physical evidence of his death. As we see from this VHS cassette tape of his funeral that Ime is watching. That's not weird at all. It's awesome. And the funeral is super star-studded, man. All the X-Men are there. I see Nick Fury in the background, like Victoria Bentley in The Black Knight. Uh, the Fantastic Four, the Silver Surfer, all these guys. Even, uh, what's his name? Artie, the Bodhisattva guy. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, that dude. But everybody's at Doctor Strange. Yeah, even uh, the Hulk all all uh, all cooled out and stuff. Yeah, yeah there, there's Artie wearing his, his red shirt and his purple pants. Hey, man, he knows how to be the leader of a religious movement, all right? And that's with <laughs> red shirt and purple pants. <laughs> so basically Doctor Strange is feeling pretty good about things he uh, defeats the big um, island monster and that's basically the last one of things that he's got to clear up before he's sort of undone all the damage he did by taking out Earthona mm. or by destroying all of his stuff to take out Earthona you, you know what I mean um, yeah I know what you mean so he's um there's a little weird thing that happens. He starts thinking about Clea, and he feels like pain in his head. But I don't know. It doesn't matter too much. Eventually, he comes back home. Um, Sarah Wolf, um, you know, sort of knocks on the door and is like, "Hey, come down for 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 dinner." And Doctor Strange's like, "Okay." Uh, but along the way, he's sort of plagued by by headaches. Something's going on, and he doesn't quite understand what it is. So after sort of eating, he makes an early night of it. As Doctor Strange sleeps, like some weird black liquid um, weeps out from beneath his eye patch. Ew, it's oozing. Yeah, and you'll remember, Drew, that his eye that his eye patch isn't just a regular eye patch, it's actually a mystic cloth. Right. That it's, is it's just okay, holding back all that evil that's in his eye. Yeah, it's sealing in a whole bunch of evil energy that's currently yeah. inside his eye socket. Right. Anyhow, um, 
Strange can't sleep, although he's really tired, so he decides to do some astral projection and just let his body sleep while he sort of zams around the city. As he does, he sees a monster attacking a dude. He scans it with the eye of Agamotto, but when he does, he realizes that, in fact, this whole scene is just an illusion. And if the monster out on the street is an illusion, then that must mean that there's actual danger back at the Sanctum. He goes flying back, and when he does, he sees that his body is out of bed and animate, which is not a good sign. Uh, nope. Strange talks to his body and is like, hey, listen, pal. Like, I don't know what you're thinking, joyriding in my body, but it's not yours, and you gotta go. He's like, you know, leave that, like, get out of that body at once. The world's Sorcerer Supreme has enough power to destroy you. And his body (laughs) says, I don't think that's true, Stephen. Haven't you figured it out? How about this? Your body, your power, everything you have has now become the birthright of the Dread Dormammu. Dormammu's taken over his body, Drew. Oh, dang. And there's a real sweet image of that's just Doctor Strange with a big flaming Dormammu head, and it's the greatest thing <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just got okay. Like the next page has like Dormammu, like explaining how all this happened, and like his mouth is real big, and I'm like going, pretty sure uh, Doctor Strange's mouth can't open up that wide. I mean, at this there. point, his head's fully just morphed into Dormammu state. Like his head's pure energy because he's, he's gone full on Dormammu, you know? Right. But basically, Dormammu's like, okay, yes, like. When last we fought, you scattered me across the cosmos, empowered by the own past version of myself, because all this took place in Nazi Germany when we were back in time. Whatever. Yeah, sure. I managed to reconstitute myself, and while you were fighting Shumagorath, I managed to jam the nucleus of my power deep inside your skull. Okay. So, from the wound in your eye, I came forth... Fully influenced Dormammu style. Uh huh. You couldn't. I blended in with the other evil energy in there, and now from within the wound in your eye, I am Dormammu incarnate on Earth. Screw you, buddy. I'm gonna rule this place. <laughs> well, you know what that means. Uh, gotta tear that eye out again, dude. I mean, something. It's hard to do though because we know from some of the earliest Doctor Strange stories, in fact. Like, the first confrontation with Baron Mordo, even. That you gotta... Once you're Astral Project, you gotta get back to your body in 24 hours, or you can never get back again. Right. And this isn't helped by the fact that Dormammu is now super uh, blasting Doctor Strange in his Astral form. Strange manages to trigger the Eye of, or- the eye of Agamotto, like the amulet that he wears around, ar- around Dormammu's neck. But it's just enough to allow Strange time to escape, not enough to let him actually do anything. Uh, The spirit of Strange escapes, and to find him, Dormammu, as, you know, the Dormammu in Strange's body, I'm just going to call him Dormammu, um, summons the Crimson Bands of Sidorak to scour the city of New York to find Doctor Strange. Strange looks for help, but Kalu is away from his apartment in the plaza. Doctor Strange is desperate now to find a place to hide. He eventually makes his way into the sewers beneath New York City, 
which, while once teeming with life and especially Morlocks and stuff, are now empty because of recent events in X-Men. But what is there that he can find is a rat. And when the Crimson Bands of Sidorak come hunting him, Doctor Strange takes refuge inside the body of this rat and Mm. escapes Dormammu's hunt. So, Rat Strange, then. Rat Strange. All right. Strain? No, I can't figure out how to do it. Okay, never mind. Strat? No. No. Okay. He does, however, hear, even though he's safe now from from Dormammu's uh, searching, he hears Dormammu's voice in his head. He's basically broadcasting on a general frequency. No matter where you go, you are no threat. Uh, I'll find you eventually, and for now, just enjoy your powerlessness as I use your body and your power to take over Earth for myself. Ha 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 ha! You don't have to be a jerk about it. You know? Yes, he does. He's Dormammu. <laughs> sure. That's specifically in his move set. <laughs> I'm just saying he doesn't have to be a jerk about it. Okay, yeah, that's true. But that's why you aren't the, the extra-dimensional lord of evil, because you're a decent fella. Apparently. <laughs> One of these days, I'll yeah. get there. Aw, oh, man, buddy. Don't don't uh, aspire to be Dormammu. That's no good. I'm going to get there one of these days. All right. So <laughs> I should mention that as this is going on, like as Dormammu is coming to power and Doctor Strange is escaping as a big rat through New York City, the Inferno storyline is playing out through most of the X-Men comics and in the city of New York, in the city of New York, where basically um, Madeline Pryor incarnates as the Goblin Queen and manifests a bunch of evil magical powers throughout the city and stuff. Uh, all right. Uh, don't worry about it too much. It doesn't come up too much here, but they kind of mention it on the cover of this of issue of of Doctor Strange number two, it says, like, if you thought Inferno wasn't enough, more demons over New York and stuff. And that's, in fact, where we find ourselves in Doctor Strange number two from December 1988. The unbearable lightness of being. Uh, Peter B. Gillis story, Rich Case Pencils, Randy Emberlin Inks, Janice Chang Letters, Bob Sharon Colors, Carl Potts Editor, Tom DeFalco, Editor Supreme. So, this issue starts with Dormammu basically reveling the fact that now he's got Doctor Strange's body and sort of saying, like, my, I'm, I control my enemy at last, you know? He, he wanders through the sanctum, and Sarah Wolf and Wong are both like, hey, Doc, what's going on tonight? And, Doctor Str- and the body of Doctor Strange turns around with, like, black eyes with red irises and says... That's right. I'm Doctor Strange, but I'm also the Dread Door Mamu. Oh, you guys are in trouble. You want to see a neat trick? Oof. Ah, flamehead. <laughs> and then he just kind of he's frozen them in place, so they can't really do anything. So they just kind of stand there looking down. But there's a pretty funny picture of like of like Dormammu walking off, and you just kind of see Doctor Strange's back with his hands held over his head, and then Sarah and Wong just kind of look like with their hands like with their hands in front of them, kind of looking down, and it looks like he's like he's like going like Steve Holt walking down the down the hall <laughs> after he just delivered the greatest burn of all time that people who he's insulted could just stand there in stunned silence. It's pretty awesome. 
<laughs> but like they kind of talk about how he's you know Dormammu's here and he's super powerful he just froze us in place he kind of doesn't even like flinch or notice the power of even the Do- even Doctor Strange's most powerful amulets and items like this new one the uh, the wings of ne- of needless sorrow which which we saw during Strange Tales that was when there was that uh, gasoline and lighters situation. And it was like, you know, that Dormammu doesn't even care about that because that's how evil and powerful he is. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the sewers, Rat Strange runs through the underground tunnels trying to figure out what to do next. He kind of theorizes people who could theoretically help him, various magical superheroes like Dr. Druid, Ilyana from the New Mutants, or a Talisman from Alpha Flight. Maybe like some god dudes like uh, Thor or Hercules or even some sort of only semi-magical guys like Doctor Doom or Scarlet Witch or something like that. The problem is that, uh-oh, everybody, all those guys think Doctor Strange is dead. Right. And because they think he's dead, it's going to be real tough for him to explain that, hey, uh, I'm Doctor Strange, I'm alive, but I'm a rat, and you got to help me. <laughs> Meanwhile... Dormammu is basically walking through New York City feeling himself. He kind of comes across various things. He comes to the Baxter building, the home, the headquarters of the Fantastic Four, and basically destroys it just because it's got a portal to the negative zone and he doesn't want people messing, horning in on his extra-dimensional action. And meanwhile, Doctor Strange, or I should say Rat Doctor Strange... <laughs> finds an interesting set of al- of first enemies and then allies. They actually play out the standard, um, oh, geez, it's a bad guy, we gotta fight him. Oh, wait, no, wait, he's our friend, we gotta help him. Uh, superhero team-up thing? Except, with, you know, they're frogs. Yeah, with the talking frogs that live in Central Park, who previously were the allies of Thor when Thor was turned into a frog. Mm, yes, Frog Thor. It's a classic Thor story, buddy. Yeah. Anyhow, Doctor Strange, calling upon the mystic teachings of both Merlin and Doolittle, <laughs> manages to use his rat throat to speak frog and <laughs> convince the frogs to help him out. The frogs agree, um, like basically digging a uh, mystic circle for uh, Rat Strange. Strange t- casts a spell, calling on Gaia. And uh, it seems to work a little bit. But before we see the full result, we cut a get back to Dormammu, who is doing magic on top of a building, basically opening a gate and summoning all the evil sorcerers from across the galaxy uh, dimensions to come to Earth and basically give him the deal of like, hey, I'm Dormammu. Uh, I'm the boss of this place. Who wants to work for me? That. That seems bad. It seems pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. There's a bunch of cool monster disguises and or uh, uh, monster guises and stuff. They kind of say like, "Hey, like a lot of people have tried to conquer Earth, including like those dire wraiths and other people, and they got all beaten up. Like, what makes your offer to conquer Earth any different?" And he's like, "Yeah, man. Yeah." He's like, "One, I'm Dormammu. Two, I'm Doctor Strange as well, so whatever. 
we met like this pseudopod guy who apparently used to be Sorcerer Supreme and now now no longer is, and has turned evil. And he they sort of leads the charge, and everybody agrees to team up with Dormammu. Like, yes, hail Dormammu! We'll conquer the Earth together. Dormammu kind of says, like, all right, everybody go back. Uh, I'm glad we had this meeting. I'm going to finish up some little things here, and then we'll come back. We'll meet back up and conquer the and conquer Earth. <laughs> Meanwhile. <laughs> this still seems bad. It seems pretty bad, man. Rat Strange uh, has been helped by the frogs and makes his way out. He crosses the path of two random New Yorkers who I believe are um, X-Men staff members. Like one's definite one I'm pretty sure is Louise Simonson, who's like New Mutants writer and, and a big editor and stuff like that. But eventually, Rat Strange makes his way back to the Sanctum Sanctorum and waiting outside gets picked up by, oh, it's Topaz. You remember Topaz as uh, the blonde empath lady who we've seen a couple times before? Yeah, I heard the crazy red eyes a while back. Yeah, and she had half a soul, and it was a big deal. Now she's got her whole soul, and she's a powerful like healer and like a uh, psychic kind of lady. She instantly recognizes Doctor Strange as uh, Doctor Strange instead of just a rat, right? Instead of just Rat Strange. Yeah, and so yeah. he basically says like, "Okay, I've got a plan. I'm going to sneak into Sanctum Sanctorum. You do whatever." They plan it off stay off screen. And we see Strange, Rat Strange, makes make his way into the Sanctum Sanctorum. He climbs around, eventually finding the amulet of the Wings of Needless Sorrow, and confronts Dormammu. The two of them have a, you know, not a super wizard fight, I'd say. Like, Rat Strange can't really hold his own against Dormammu, but he can do enough just to kind of... um, just to allow, just to keep Dormammu busy, basically. Eventually, it sort of breaks. He break, Strange breaks free of the rat body, and they starts being uh, Dormammu on Spirit Strange and stuff. Two of them fight constantly until suddenly, suddenly, <laughs> Strange opens a gateway, and through it comes ah. Uh, Dormammu thinks it's Umar, but no, it's the new ruler of the Dark Dimension. Oh, dang. Dr. Strange's old lady, Clea. Oh, no. <laughs> it's bad. seems like bad times for Dormammu. It is. The two of them start fighting. Um, like, they basically say, now it's two-on-one of people equal, equal to your strength. This freaks out um, Dormammu, who's like, why, why aren't you Umar? What's going on here? Um, you know, Earth is my dimension now. Even if you are ruler of the dark dimension, I rule Earth now, and I'm going to take you down. At which point, Doctor Strange says, now! And Topaz runs forward. And as Clea and Doctor Strange sort of blast beams at Dormammu, Topaz takes Dormammu's head in her hands and uses her healing powers, which completely purge, instantly purges Dormammu from Doctor Strange's body. Uh, I see it also does one more thing. Well, okay. So the deal is, basically, <laughs> the wound um, that that um, Dormammu was sort of hiding in and stuff was, you know, it was still a wound. Like, he was basically expressing himself by being um, the infection that was in Doctor Strange's head. So right. Topaz heals that infection 
essentially, and thus drives Dormammu out. The thing that was holding him on Earth has now been cured. Because of that, well, the drawing's wrong at the end of this issue. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he still has his eye patch in later issues. Um, They kind of draw him with with getting his eye back. But in fact, I think it's just that now he's got a healthy eye socket or something like that. Uh, okay. So, in theory at least, Doctor Strange is purged of Dormammu due to some last-minute healing. Uh, he and Kalea embrace, and we find out in the final split, in the final still, uh, still screen, that the rat Doctor Strange was inhabiting was a lady rat. Womp oh. womp. <laughs> so, lady rat strange. Yeah, but all's well that, it, that ends well. Dormammu is defeated, sent back to some other spot. You know, he's not sort of... He's defeated in more of a I'll-get-you-next-time gadget sort of way instead of a now Dormammu's dead forever kind of way, the way he's been being beaten a couple times recently, actually. But, right. You know, he'll live to fight another day. We'll have more Dormammu. It's always nice. And takes us to Doctor Strange 3 from... From March 1989, Dragon Circle, Peter B. Gillis story, Richard Case pencils, Randy Emberlin inks, Janice Chang letters, Bob Sharon colors, Carl Potts editor, Tom DeFalco, editor ahead of ya. <laughs> That's so dumb. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not ahead of ya. Uh, chief in Chief is this, is, is this one. <laughs> Sorry, Tom DeFalco, Chief in Chief. <laughs> so something to know sort of outside of um, these, these comics is that these are the last two Doctor Strange comics that Peter B. Gillis will write. He's been with us through a lot of um, like the Strange Tales, Doctor Strange, and even before then. Um, because he's sort of reaching to the end of his tenure, they're sort of having him finish up his plans for Doctor Strange right away, which leads to some very forced stuff in these next two issues that I'm not a super huge fan of, but is sort of interesting, I guess. So, the first half of this issue, basically, is the aftermath of the Dormammu fight, where Doctor Strange and Clea are, like, making out, and they're like, hey, you know... Enough with, like, Doctor Strange, you've sort of come to recognize that you need to be in more physical, like, or, like, you know, find love and not hold yourself out from those sort of connections. Like, we've been on again, off again, will they or won't they, uh, lovers for the past 20 years or so, like, in terms of calendar years. (laughs) (laughs) So, how about we finally, I mean, they've done it, all right? We all know that. But yeah. let's let's make it official. And basically, that night they magic marry each other. Woo, magic marry! There's no Woo. um, there's no ceremony or anything. It's more like there's basically a whole bunch of um, like magical sparks that fly all through the Sanctum Sanctorum. And Sarah's like, any idea what those two are doing up there? They're they're doing stuff. Don't worry and, about it. Yeah. And the next morning at fancy breakfast, <laughs> um. Strange and uh, Stephen and Clay are wearing sort of matching robes, or like they're both wearing sort of like Clay is wearing a white robe and Strange is wearing a black robe, but they both have the same sort of golden like cuffs and stuff. And they're wearing rings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like they basically sort of, yeah, magically marry each other, kind of, 
just in that they're both wearing sort of these mat like it's not a matching ring I should say it's a magical ring where it's actually one ring but there's two of them and I don't know they don't explain it very well I gotta admit it but whatever <laughs> Clea and Doctor Strange married forever here's where it happens yeah like legitimately forever uh well it, it comes up later like yeah a, a lot later yeah just you know if anybody asks when it happened this is when it happened yeah just 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 hang on to that piece of knowledge for like the next uh 20 years <laughs> anyhow i mean i'm sure it'll come up it'll be important and come up before then as well but um anyhow there's still um um i i will say also that this breakfast table scene is very is is funny for me just because clea has the flames of regency on her head constantly so it's like they're having breakfast just like sitting at the breakfast table and clea's head is on fire the whole time (laughs) like she's showing off a ring and like hugging up on steven and all that stuff but there's totally like flames coming off of her head (laughs) <laughs> and then also, like, Sarah, the one single person at this table, kind of looks at her watch and just like, ooh, I gotta go. <laughs> this is getting I, weird. <laughs> I, got, I got things to do. Yeah. Anyhow, they're still going to mostly keep it long distance as Clea's got to stay in the dark dimension to rule and Doctor Strange has got to be the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth and all that stuff. Yeah. Anyhow, smash cut <laughs> to <laughs> the University of Swansea in Wales. Where um, there's this guy, uh, David App Iowerth, who's, I'd say, this kind of pudgy, mustachioed, balding dude, who is a um, a professor of ancient English literature, mm-hmm. and he's found a mysterious book about King Arthur and like whatever. He consults with his but with his uh, professor buddy, who is um, have you know has bedded an undergrad and they see a big eagle in their in, in his apartment and i don't know man um what is even happening here i am so confused oh i should mention also at the start of this comic we saw um the the currently dead defenders which is valkyrie and then the three that i don't know who they are because they kind of came in after dr strange led, left the defenders <laughs> we saw them fighting the fight in a valhalla it's like Andromeda, Manslaughter, and um, The Outsider or something like that. Whatever. We, they were fighting in, Van, in Valhalla. It was a whole thing. Yeah. So, meanwhile, back, on, back in New York, sort of Doctor Strange decides to do the right thing, which is go to Morgana Blessing and basically say, Hey, uh, I married my demon lover from Beyond the Stars, so it's over between you and me. I mean... It's the only proper thing to do. Well, I mean, you can't, like, let her keep hanging on, you know? Yeah. Like, that's not cool. And he does it in person and stuff. It's like he calls her up. It's the the best way to handle you finally marrying your on-again, off-again, common-law demon wife, you know? (laughs) 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 Anyhow, they seem to part on decent terms. Meanwhile, I guess in England, I don't know what's going on with this English stuff. Like a couple other people or like David, the the professor, and then his professor buddy and the co-ed he was sleeping with and um, are sort of drive out to the middle of nowhere in England. 
And then another guy shows up, like a truck driver, like almost runs them off the road. And then his truck sort of, you know, is, or the t- like he sort of almost runs into them. He pulls off into a ditch and it kind of messes up his truck. And then all of them start wa- walking off into the wilderness, basically. Okay. And it's like a whole thing, I guess, along the way, or they sort of see this giant eagle again, and then there's a big explosion. Not far away, we see Doctor Strange has shown up. He's been called to England by some sort of mystic force, where he meets another lady who sort of fell off her motorcycle, and Strange is helping her as well. The two of them are also drawn to the source of this explosion, and when they arrive at it, they find the four previous people, so the professor, David, um, his buddy, the other professor, the co-ed, and the truck driver, all frozen in stone in the middle of this, like, fairy circle in the middle of the woods. Oh, oh okay. The mo- the motorcycle lady, who's a, who's a black lady, I guess I should mention, um, is drawn to them, like, to the stone guys, and as she stands with them, a whole bunch of animals appear out of the forest. There's, like, a fox... And an eagle, and an otter, and a bear. And <laughs> by your powers combined, I guess. Uh, sure. Yeah. These guys are suddenly transformed into the dead Avengers. Like, I think the uh, like the professor guy becomes Manslaughter, who's sort of a proto um, Deadpool. The truck driver becomes Outsider, Black Lady becomes Andromeda, and the co-ed lady becomes Valkyrie, which means we're right back where we started with Valkyrie being inhabiting the dead body of another human being. Man, again? <laughs> again! Oh, jeez. So, man, things are going real fast here. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff happening. David, the professor guy, signals what everybody else is saying, which is, "Will someone please tell me?" Shouts, "Will someone please tell me what is going on?" What um, what in what in the name of what is going on here? As they as and before anybody can even try to explain, all of those uh, demon guys that Doctor Strange summoned during the assault on uh, Shumagorath come back, and everybody starts fighting them and stuff. And as the fight continues, uh, David sort of like screams at them, like, get away from me, get away. And when he does, they all leave instantly. And. Okay. <laughs> the reason why this happens, why he's able to make the spirits of the earth of England, like, not attack him and stuff, is because I guess. He's like the rightful descendant and heir of King Arthur, okay? That's the long and the short uh, of it, Drew. They don't sure. super explain how it works. but I'm confused. But it means that he's now the King of England, or the, uh, sorry, the mystical King of England. And can basically just right, make, uh, make anybody English or England-based do whatever he wants. Sure. And yeah, like, I'm pretty sure the last time... Last time I checked, uh, the queen doesn't have the power. Or maybe she does. I don't know. Well, but she's also not a direct descendant of King Arthur, buddy. Don't get it twisted. Hey, man, I'm just I'm saying it like it is. Looks like my co-host, Drew, is not familiar with the War of the Roses. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> um, it ends with the reincarnated defenders, like, 
kneeling before David and saying, like, you know, you're our rightful king and all that stuff. And Doctor Strange looks kind of confused by it or cons- cons- or concerned by it. I don't know. It seems like this whole story is an incredible fast forward because it seems like Gillis had basically two issues where they were like, all right, Doctor Strange 3 and 4. You're going to do those and then you're out. <laughs> so... I think he probably had a a real big story for all this stuff, but he just didn't sort of have time to complete it all. And I'm going to say this is super borne out in Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme number four from May of 1989. Dragon's Dream. Peter B. Gillis' story. Richard Case Pencils. Tony DeZuniga inks, Janice Chang letters, Bob Sharon colors, Carl Potts editor, Tom DeFalco editor ahead of you. Just because we immediately smash cut to the smoking ruins of the city of Manchester. Whoa, what? Which is like, how did we get here? Why is this city full of smoking ruins? What's going on? They don't explain why Manchester is just randomly a smoking ruin. What What? What happened here? I don't... I'm confused. I don't I, know what's going on anymore. I looked up like man, like like Manchester and riot or Manchester and attack or something like that in like the 1988 1989. I didn't really find that much. I don't know what's going on. Sure, but basically, we got Doctor Strange. We got um, this David guy who's King Arthur. We got the four reincarnated defenders. We got the police who are attacking them, but they use their mystical powers to avoid being killed, essentially. We got a bunch of, like, skinhead biker guys who are attacking a bunch of immigrants, like, uh, like um, minority-type people. And our guys sort of beating them up until one of them manifests as actual King Arthur and, like, I don't know. There's more fighting. There's a bunch of uh, Ghost Rider, like Flaming Skull guys with Nazi, with uh, swastika shields bearing down on them and stuff. And eventually, like, it all gets beaten by just by David sort of holding up his arm and saying, like, stop this, I command you. Like, you aren't. You're just like a bunch of bikers who are confused and stuff. You don't actually want to get in this fight. Have some respect. And they, like, kneel down to him and stuff. I don't, like... I just, it's so, this comic is so weird because I feel like we just jumped ahead like three issues, basically. Yeah, like this, the story seems to be like screaming forward without like, like there's a lot going on and it's not clear what's happening. But basically, I'm just going to sort of tell you what's happening is that there's this evil dragon that has um, decided to try to take over England and our guys are fighting back against it. The dragon has taken the form of a, like, army general who has um, instituted martial law in Manchester and sort of working out of this big abandoned factory thing to fight it. Strange empowers Valkyrie's sword, uh, Dragonfang, for extra dragon-killing abilities. Nice, nice. Um, there's a big fight. The dragon manifests itself as a sweet shadow dragon with a bunch of spikes and stuff coming off of it. It does look really red. Yeah. After a bunch of fighting that sort of goes okay but not super great, eventually all the defenders and Doctor Strange and all that stuff sort of join hands and manifest a giant dragon fang, like one that's like 10 feet tall, basically, 
which manages to cut the evil dragon in half, eventually reducing it back down to the size of a worm, which David then squishes. And that's basically it. (laughs) The spirit of hate has been defeated by killing a literal dragon with a literal magic sword and the literal reincarnated King Arthur then squishes it because this sort of feeling has no place in his realm. And that's it. It's real, like, in uh, to me, I, like, I read these comics, like, this, like, the last one and this one, and sort of after the wedding stuff with Clea, it becomes se- only semi-comprehensible. Yeah, it, it seems like they just kind of ram through, like, at least three issues worth of story just as quickly as they possibly could. Yeah, it's a lot of sort of jumping around, leading various details, and things being very, like, all right, we're doing this, all right, we're doing this, all right, this is whatever, and it's like, okay, but, like, it's not a good way to tell this story, I think, which is a bummer. It's a bummer because, and we're sort of done with the comics here, but I'll say that, like, I really loved Peter Gillis's run on Doctor Strange, you know? Yeah. Um, like the, like the fight with Erthona and destroying all of Doctor Strange's stuff, and then the whole Strange Tales run, I thought was really neat. Of just um, like Doctor Strange having to be get all evil, and even though he didn't get a huge comeuppance for it, just sort of the the desperation that we felt with that character and stuff was really cool. And to sort of end it with this like rushed, semi comprehensible set of comics is is a real bummer. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm mostly remembering the good times. Like, (laughs) this is a really neat run and not one that's super well publicized, I feel like. Like, I don't think there are any graphic novels about this era of Doctor Strange, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not really collected that much. So it's a fun sort of like, you know, here's the only place you can read it is is in these comic books sort of period. And I think that's very cool. Just in terms of things we've learned in the course of this podcast about Doctor Strange, you know? Yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. If you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Stranger by the Dozen or find us on Twitter at Stranger by the Twelve. That's Stranger by the One, Two. Or look at our podcast web uh, network site at cradoline.com. During the week, I'll post a bunch of images from these issues, so keep an eye out. Stranger by the Dozen is on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and any fine pod-catching app. Tune in next week as we follow Doctor Strange to the suburbs in the pages of Marvel Comics Presents. Then we'll continue with the further adventures of Strange in his own comic with a new creative team featuring the return of classic Doctor Strange writer Roy Thomas along with his wife Dan, Dan Thomas, and the uh, work of the artist of Butch Grease. Another old enemy will return. I bet you can guess who. (laughs) And then there'll be some cool Hellblazer-style shenanigans Satana is no match for Mephista on the next Stranger by the Dozen. Until then, faithful listeners, I say, The ages fall away. The rule of law is stripped from the bones of the world. A new will grips the earth, the sky, the ether. My will. Now, let the new scheme of things be established. Let the winds of change and fires of creation dance to my desire. 
Let those I have summoned appear before me. From your hidden lairs among the galaxies, come! Dormammu commands your presence. Come, ye dark sorcerers from the world of infinite space. Come! My name is Conrad, and for my co-host Drew, this is Stranger by the Dozen. May the Vishanti guide your path.